Bibles to Luke chapter 17. If you recall, we, we covered the first 10 verses, and then we jumped to the story of Lazarus, which is believed by many commentators to take place before this, the healing of the 10 lepers. Luke 17, we're looking at verses 11 through 19. Uh, again, a reminder, this is a study of the Lord's ministry in a chronological order. So there are certainly a lot of other things that we could say about the healing of the ten lepers that you may not hear me say today. It's not because it's not there. It's because the intention, the context, the framing of this study is to put these events in chronological order. So we certainly won't just read it, get in and get out, but... There's a lot of other things that can be said here, a lot of other messages that can be preached here, no doubt, uh, but we won't be able to cover all of them in an exhaustive manner. So here we see the healing of the ten lepers. This is the last journey to Jerusalem by way of Samaria and Galilee. Starting in verse 11, we see the phrase, and it came to pass. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, check your math, there were ten, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Were there not ten cleansed? You can almost hear that sermon in your mind. Were there not ten that had this malady removed, that had approached the feet of God Himself, requested a uh, mercy, not a healing, but mercy of the Lord Jesus, received it, and yet only one returned? Well, uh, some facts about this event. This is the fourth and last instance of healing recorded in the Bible in absentia. And I know there's people in here that can spell uh, litum, so you probably already know what absentia means. I didn't, so I'm going to define it for you. This is where the Lord is not present at the actual physical healing. The first was the healing of the nobleman's son, and that takes place in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. The second was the healing of the centurion's servant, which we have two parallel accounts of, Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13, and Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. And the third was the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, back in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, and Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. It's interesting to note that the first three instances were Gentile healings. And this, the fourth, Jesus literally refers to him as a stranger there at the end of the, this cutout text is at least one of the lepers as a Samaritan. Ten lepers in total, ten cleansed according to our Lord's words. This isn't just a theory that they were healed. He says they were healed. And yet only one returned to give glory to God. Oh, that we would turn from the wicked path of death and destruction 
that we were once on before the Lord cleansed us. That we would see this miraculous change that has taken place as this one did and realize that there's a new purpose. There's new cause. There's no new reason to his life. That we would indeed put on the new man pursuing the Father's will and glorifying him with the time that we have remaining. Turn over to Psalms 107. Psalm 107, and if you follow along in the outline, we may not get through this entire set of notes because I, I want to take the time to read this entire psalm, but Psalm 107 it talks in, in, from the onset of God's redemptive power. And it says in verse 1, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their, in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul that filleth the hungry, uh, that filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. In verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness into the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron asunder. Verse 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. Verse 23, they, got, uh, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. This is speaking of the fear that sets upon them. You imagine, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Eurycliden there in Acts, you imagine waves in the dark in a boat. They're seemingly limitless as they go toward the sky. You can't even really see them or, or maybe not even hear them depending on the volume of the storm itself as they come crashing down. And the fear that is spoken of here in verse 26, the, the effect of that in verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them out 
uh, he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Verse 33, he turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplying greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, verse 39, they are minished or diminished, and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Great is the chastening. Great is the chastening for those of whom the Lord loveth. This is a haunting psalm, is it not? And of course, there's a phrase written like a song. There's a phrase, a set of phrases that continue to reoccur. But if you look at the ones that follow, verse 9 is the one that we, or rather verse 8 is the first time we see the one that repeats. But look at the verse that follows it. For God satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. We see that familiar phrase in verse 15, and then it's followed by, For he hath broken, God hath broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. So he has fed the hungry, he has freed the imprisoned. We see in verse 21 that familiar verse again, and then it's followed by sacrifices of thanksgiving, and a declaration of his works with rejoicing. We're to remember what he had done. We're to remember the affliction, not as though we're still afflicted, but because we are freed by his hand from the affliction. Verse 31, that familiar phrase again, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And that's followed by an exaltation in the congregation of the people and a praise in the assembly of the elders. We're brought back to the importance of being with people. The importance of declaring God's goodness, God's might, God's works, before the masses, and here in particular, with like-minded individuals, with the elect of God. When we say like-minded, we don't mean all that agree. We mean all that have been saved or all that have been blessed by the hand of God. That looks different sometimes. So why did these nine reject him? We see one here that may have uh, been reminded or, or, or could have related to this verse, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I was a leper and have been made whole. I've been restored. The other nine had the same exact healing. They all had the same exact affliction, but the other nine had the same exact healing and yet kept on walking. Did they have more important things to do? Now that I'm healed, I can get back to life as we knew it. I don't have to run around saying unclean anymore. I can open up my business again. I can provide for my family. I can dwell in my community. Perhaps they felt they deserved to be healed. 
After all, they asked Jesus for a healing. Don't we command him? Don't we simply ask and he gives? We ask and we receive? Is it that they felt their own deeds? Remember, he told them to go and show themselves to the priests. Perhaps that, those deeds, which is a type of religion, is what actually performed the miracle. I was faithful to do this thing, and therefore I was healed. When we look at it that way, it had nothing to do with Jesus. It had nothing to do with the one that commanded them to go and show themselves to the priests. It had everything to do with their willingness to do what he told them to do. These outcasts lived and traveled together because they were rejected by society. Remember who these guys are. They're lepers. We're going to talk about leprosy in a minute. They were rejected by society. They were castaways. They were put out. They had no home. They recognized Jesus because immediately they begged him for mercy. They recognized leprosy as a judgment. They recognized Jesus as one who had control over it. He commanded them to go see the priest, which speaks right back to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. He, he commanded them to show themselves to the priest. Did, you remember who it was who was supposed to uh, inspect those that had leprosy? Who it was that was to look over the leper? Who it was that pronounced uncleanness or cleanness to those who had been infected with leprosy? Jesus was following the law of the letter. He never broke it. And when they obeyed the command, they were all healed. Verse 17 through 22 of the same psalm, Psalm 107. We won't read it again. But verse 17 through 22 speaks directly to that. This man returned unto the Lord Jesus, bowing at his feet and giving him thanks. This man was a Samaritan. Do you remember the Samaritan I referenced this morning? Turn over to John chapter 4. This woman at the well took place in the same chapter as the first of these absentia healings. Verses 46 through 54 was the nobleman's son when Jesus wasn't with the nobleman's son but still healed him while being absent from him. But the first 30 verses deal with something else. John chapter 4 starting in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, which we are going to see very shortly in our Genesis study. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. It was the middle of the day. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And this woman, we already know, is coming to get water at a time of day which would have been very unpopular in a, in a nation, in, a, in an environment in which she lived in. It would have been the hottest point of the day. Like the lepers, she's an outcast of some sort because she's not welcome to get water with the other women of the community. She has to go alone. She comes to the water or the well to draw water, and Jesus says unto her, Give me to drink. Now, this woman's not allowed to go to the well or not permitted or welcome to go to the well with other ladies. She's certainly not permitted to draw water for someone else. It says in verse 8, it was because of his disciples being gone in the city to buy meat. We know that he dispatched them to do that. That wasn't an accident. They didn't leave their master thirsty. Verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? 
for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children? And his cattle. Notice already that in verse 10, when Jesus was speaking to her, he didn't say, If you were but Jew, if you were but a Jew and had asked me of water, he said, If you had asked for water, and it lines up perfectly with what we read of Deuteronomy earlier, as well as Romans. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Just a thought that occurs to me here. If every time you went to, and I know at least the Thorns have a water thing out of their fridge like we do. If every time you went to fill your water cup, as you waited for this thing to fill up, you thought, I'm going to thirst again. As soon as I finish this, I'm going to thirst again. You'd eventually start to come to the conclusion that this is a silly use of time. I have to do it. But I'm always going to thirst again when this is gone. And if we uh, track that and reverse it, Wonka style for Isaac, we can apply the same logic to what the Lord is offering here. And we should be excited, should we not, that what we got from that well, that everlasting life, will never run out. It is never in vain. It is not wasted. It is developed into a wellspring of life as we also confess forth what he has done for us. As we portray and deliver the gospel unto the lost community, we are also springing forth life that is not useless nor vain. This woman, this Samaritan, saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. He has yet to deliver unto her that she is a despicable Samaritan and cannot partake of this water. I know we're going back to this morning's message, but you see this. And it comes perfectly with these ten lepers. This leper asked for mercy, received mercy, came back and gave thanks, and it never one time crossed his mind that he was a Samaritan and I shouldn't do this. You know what the bigger problem was? He was a leper. He was a sinner. He was unclean. He needed to be made whole. They didn't plead for mercy (coughs) that the Lord would make them not a Samaritan. They pled for mercy because of their leprosy. Again, we're going to talk about what leprosy is in a minute. So it wasn't about her nationality. It wasn't about his nationality. It was about sin in both situations. The tension of that moment when Jesus, a Jew, requested water by her hand in the heat of the day, yet he revealed a great truth that day to her in verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. The vanity of religion and empty services, which is likely what these other nine believed worked the magic of healing them, would restore those men to their former places of society. 
That is the vanity of religion. That you can be restored to your former place in society. Or you can be restored to the place in society that you should have been in to begin with, Joel Osteen. Both of them, right there. But that's empty. That's vain. It's not the promise of God. He says, be done with those things. Die unto he who loses his life, gains his life. Die unto these things. Come and follow after me. They were now clean and could live amongst their brethren again. And that's what they longed for, to be like their brethren. Yet the faith of this one who returned to Jesus, it led to more than just a physical healing. It led to his salvation. Look at that last verse. And he said unto him, Arise. This is Luke 17, verse 19. Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Who found the greater blessing of that ten? It was the one who returned unto the Lord. The physical healing of the other nine, you know what would eventually happen to them? Death. What good is physical healing in this life that restores you to your former position in society or promotes you to your deserved position in society? You will still eventually vacate that position when you die. And if apart from the Lord, you'll experience a second death. You'll experience a torment for all eternity. A sense of our spiritual leprosy should make us very humble when we draw near to Christ. And that's required to draw near to Christ. You wouldn't dare take your pride before the throne. Could you imagine this leper? I mean, we don't see it, but you have to kind of imagine it if you want to drive home the idea of the humility that is required for us to approach the throne. This leper doesn't just strut in there. Hey, Jesus, you healed me. I deserved it. You gave it to me. Thanks, big guy. He doesn't come in arrogant. He falls to his face. Tears in his eyes. So thankful that he was considered of the Lord Jesus. We sometimes in our life try to play the next step. What happens after I do this? Will he make me a disciple? Will he promote me to his right, the seat at his right hand side? Right hand side? Will I get some kind of merit from this? But true humility doesn't know how this is going to end. It only knows that there was a miracle performed, a great mercy that wasn't deserved, and I have to go and make this right. I have to go and pay uh, obeisance to the one who restored me. Leprosy, or as it's referred to today as Hansen's disease, is an awful thing. I, uh, when I first took on my first pastorate in temperance, I, well, at first I had a job as a, a warehouse manager for a, 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 lo- a local licensee of an Ashley Furniture chain. I was doing pretty good. Uh, probably the most money I've made since we got married. Uh, and it was, it was too much. I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week trying to pastor for the first time. And we had three kids at the time. Libby was still a baby. It was too much. Uh, so I stepped down. I mean, way down. I was delivering groceries, brother. And I stepped way down. Shipped had first come out. First came to the area. And I was delivering groceries for them. And I had a customer. Um, and I, I was as naive then as I am now on most things. I was delivering groceries to this customer. And a note on their file said that, um, that she had Hansen's disease and I had to leave the groceries outside uh, if her husband wasn't there. And I don't know what that was, but I, you, know, you respect the notes that are left in there for you. 
And so I show up, and he happens to be there, and uh, we were talking about it, and, and he was telling me the things his wife was going through, and I, and I, I said, well, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know all the ins and outs of Hansen's disease, but, it, and you could tell he'd been burdened. His wife is sick, been sick for years, uh, and when I tell you what I saw, you'll understand. Uh, his heart was hurting. He was weary. He was exhausted. He's working two jobs uh, to take care of their household. And I offered to take everything in, and he said, I, I, don't, I don't know that most people could handle the sight of, of what this disease has done to my wife. And I said, well, I, I understand, and I respect that, but if, if I can help out, I said, I'm a pastor, too, if there's anything I can do. And he just started crying, and he had me come in, and I, I helped put the groceries away, and then he asked me, in between my running in and out of the groceries, he talked to his wife, I guess, and they asked me if I would come in and pray with her, and I said I would. Um, leprosy is an awful thing. She, at that point, had already lost her lower jaw. Most of her, my kids like it when I say the word phalanges, but most of her fingers, her toes, gone. Uh, she'd lost the use of just about everything uh, at that point, if you understand what I'm saying. But the, 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 unmerciful side of Hansen's disease is that her body was still alive. So it's shedding pieces of itself rapidly and she's to the point where she's longing for the mercy of death. We have to understand that every time we read of the leper, every time we read Leviticus 13 and 14, every time we read of this situation when there's a healing, it's more than just 10 people had a cold and he drove the cold away, and only one came back and said, thank you. Ten people were longing for death as a release from what they were experiencing and suffering through. It doesn't say what they'd lost at this point. But no doubt they'd seen leprosy. They knew what was coming. And they longed for it to end in whatever form and fashion it could end. They likely were hoping for death. Some maybe longed to dig their own grave and just end it, just to have it be done and over with. They're dealing with more than cold, more than COVID, more than flu. Their very body is rejecting itself. Their body is in full rebellion against life, and yet they're forced to continue to live. I don't hope that leprosy continues but I would hope that every Christian that thinks they know what leprosy is would come into contact with the results, would talk to a husband that's watching his wife slowly die, and he can't do anything about it. She can't even, a hospital stay does not even alleviate her experience. They're just trying to make her comfortable until it ends. If you've ever been so bad off in this life that you longed for death, I'm not, beloved, talking about suicide or anything of that nature. And certainly if you are going through something of that nature, you need to talk to somebody. You need to let somebody know that can pray with you and talk to you about the Lord's will. But have you ever suffered so intensely, incapable of stopping what is happening? Think of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She too would have had to proclaim herself unclean. She too... She would have had the, the, the stench of what she's going through. She couldn't have covered it up. 
Her body's betraying her. This is what every sinner has done to God the Father, their Creator. We have actively rebelled against Him. We have betrayed Him. And yet through the Son, He found means to forgive any. Beloved, lost in sin, there is no relief at death. Though these lepers long for it, there's no relief at death. If they die apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll know suffering better on the other side than they ever did here. We have even preacher brethren who have lost their wives and long so badly to be with them again, to be with their Lord again. Some have even taken their own lives. There's no relief on the other side of that. There is no benefit to escalating the Lord's plan of eventually having you with Him. You must have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior to truly be spared of any suffering. Only one of those who were healed from this awful, awful disease came back and gave thanks to the Lord. It becomes us like him to be very humble in thanksgiving, to be very humble in our prayers. We don't know sometimes just how delicate life is. Just how delicate the very next breath. I mean, if we had to do that alone, if we had to mentally think our way through the process of taking the next breath, do you realize how badly we would fail? Have you ever thought about making your lung compress and inflate? No. No, not at all. Have you ever thought about the process of bringing in air and, or, or let's be more specific, only bringing in and keeping oxygen and releasing what, you know, all of these things. And everything, the food, like what we just ate, have you thought through the process of what your body's going to keep and what it's going to let go of? You don't have to think about those things. Life is so incredibly delicate that a man can fall off of a very short step stool and lose his right arm. May we yet long for the spiritual blessing that awaits his elect. May we recognize just how precious it is that he would consider any of us. Thinking back to that, that psalm that we just read, Psalm 107, thinking of this one, I can't help but think of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and this is where we'll close. Jesus says right in the middle of the how-to-be-attitudes, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do we have such an understanding of life and its preciousness that we hunger and thirst? Thinking, if, if you're a man in this room, any kind of man like me, you think about food often even the water that will leave us thirsty. And if we thought of righteousness in that manner, we would have no choice but to self-reflect and self-examine constantly. Am I in pursuit of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I in pursuit of the blessings that God the Father might have for me? Do I desire it like I desire supper tonight? Do I desire it like I desire a Sunday afternoon nap? Charlie, I don't know if you know this, but... 
a certain wife told me that one of our brethren gets a Sunday nap. It's not your pastor. <laughs> I would love a Sunday nap. But one of our brethren gets a Sunday nap. Do we long for righteousness? Like we long for that nap? Do we long for even the things on our prayer request list? The salvation of our loved ones? Do we long for that salvation? Do we long for uh, the Lord's will in the Hudson home? Like we long for our Sunday naps and meals? Like we long for our easy chairs? I'm using silly examples, but we still long for those silly things, don't we? That's what drove the nine lepers back home instead of back to Jesus. They long for those things. At the end of Luke 9, those that said, there were three individuals that said they wanted to follow after Jesus wherever he would go, but there were other things they longed for more than following after Jesus. Where are we? Where are we? We talked this morning about how easy it is for us to do damage by just hitting like or share. Where are we? Are we longing for the Lord's will? I wonder sometimes if we don't see revivals and things of that nature because we can't handle them. We haven't actually longed for them. How would the Lord bless one of his churches with a revival the way we tend to handle things? I mean, he, you're, we're asking, beseeching him to entrust us with a very precious thing, an igniting of the Holy Spirit over a group of individuals, salvation at every turn. People lit on fire and zealous for God that later that night will go to Facebook and pick fights. I don't think he can trust us with it yet. If we're going to long for these things, we ought to hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we be that one leper in the crowd that understands we didn't deserve a lick of the good of God's nature. May he help us.